Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Martin studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today on the show, we're going to talk a little about nitrogen stabilizers. So if you want to cut your nitrogen bill or figure out how best to use your nitrogen, this is the show for you. We're going to get into it right away here. Darren, here's my whole point with nitrogen stabilizers. A lot of people are going to bring this up and they're going to say, all right, don't cut your nitrogen, just use the stabilizer. And my contention is, well, why wouldn't I cut my nitrogen? What in the world do I need a nitrogen stabilizer for if I can't cut my nitrogen rate? So tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> well, you know, when you think about it, we, we don't want to lose nitrogen. And as farmers, we are going to be watched with a lot of the things that we do because people just don't understand what we're doing or why. Yep. And they Agreed. see a big truck or a big spreader or tender pull into a field and it's full of fertilizer. Oh, my goodness. Look at all that stuff they're dumping out there. They have no idea how much it really is. And I find it interesting, too, that that uh, my friends who have a yard in town a lot of times will say, hey, what do you think about this fertilizer thing? I know you farmers use lots of fertilizer. I'm like, well, hold on. What do you mean lots? Let's figure out what you're putting out for a rate on your yard. What are you using? Well, I bought this 50-pound bag, and I was going to spread it on my yard. Well, how big is your yard? And we start figuring out the rate of fertilizer they're using. I wouldn't say every time, but most times, Brian, they're using more fertilizer per acre on their yard by far than we are in the country. Yet they're really worried because they see big trucks in my yard or in our fields. I'm really worried when I see someone pull a 50-pound bag out of the trunk of their car or, worse yet, the back seat of their car sitting with their kids while I pull out my weed and feed. Like, really? You put that in the back seat with your kids? Okay, here's why I don't worry about it that much. There, really, for all the nitrogen that's applied, there isn't that much that ends up in groundwater. I don't really, quite frankly, care what goes into the air right away anyway in terms of volatility because 78%, they say, of our air that we breathe is nitrogen. But I don't want to debate this, the environmental side. We talk environment all the time here on the show. What I want to talk about today, Darren, is just when you stop and think about this logically, how do you pay for the nitrogen stabilizer or what's the purpose of the nitrogen stabilizer? It's to keep it in the ammonium form because ammonium is positively charged and it will bind to negatively charged soil. So I'm paying for it because of loss. And even to your point, where you were going with that was on the environmental side that, hey, we worry about loss. So that's why we should use a nitrogen stabilizer. Again, I come back to, well, if we were losing some before without the stabilizer, then shouldn't that mean I can cut my nitrogen rate when using a stabilizer? So I'll just put it to you this way for everybody that's listening today. When we use stabilizers on our farm, I tell our guys exactly this. If we're going to spend $10 on the stabilizer, we're cutting our nitrogen rate by $10 because otherwise, how do I pay for it? And then not only did I basically come out as a wash, but I should hopefully have at least as good, if not better, nitrogen efficiency as before. And I have a lot less risk for loss and contaminating somebody's groundwater. So I think it's all good. But anyway, Darren, you've said before you probably shouldn't cut the nitrogen rate. But my contention is why wouldn't you? Well, it just depends. Is nitrogen your yield limiting factor? Now, let's say that it is. Well, why would I cut it at all? I want as I want more nitrogen. That's going to push my yield further. Agreed. And I would say a majority of farmers that I talk to say, if I say, well, what's holding you back? 
Uh, oh, you know, I don't have enough rain. As I said, okay, forget the rain. What else is holding you back? Well, I probably need to do more with my fertilizer program. And most farmers, if you said, hey, would you like 10 more to 20 more pounds of nitrogen? Do you think that would help? I don't know hardly anyone that would turn that down, Brian. I think most guys would say, you know, a little more nitrogen would help. My crop maybe wasn't as green as I thought. Or I got to the end of the season, okay. I saw some nitrogen firing on the lower leaves, these kinds of things that maybe I could have closed things out better if I would have had a little bit more nitrogen later in the season. That, to me, is what I'm trying to get out of this nitrogen stabilizer. I'm trying to lengthen the time that that nitrogen could be pulled in by my plant. And if I can pull a little bit in later in the season, that's a good thing. Okay, but here's the thing. When we're talking about nitrogen and holding it in the ammonium form longer, how long could we possibly hold it longer? Two weeks, maybe four weeks, and I think what you're talking about, more nitrogen available later in the season, like around tassel time, well, that's three months later, like 10, 12, 14 weeks later. A stabilizer isn't going to last that long. It's not going to help you for that, in my opinion, at all. So I think in that case, split your nitrogen. And we're not saying use a stabilizer and then don't split your nitrogen. What I'm contending here is if it's me and I'm going to use a stabilizer, I will guarantee you my recommendation is cut the nitrogen rate because otherwise how do I pay for the nitrogen stabilizer, number one. And number two, I got to still pay attention to what my soil can hold. So if my soil theoretically can only hold, let's say, 100, 120 pounds, I'm not putting 200 or 250 out there with the stabilizer. I'm going to put 100 out or 120, and then I'm going to put another whatever, 100, 120 later and split it anyway. So anyway, we're going to talk about nitrogen stabilizers throughout the show. There are definitely benefits, both environmental and hopefully on the econ or on the agronomic side. So I, I get to Darren's point. Yes, you can hold it a little bit longer, and that's a good thing. But Darren also brought up, okay, what's your yield limiting factor? And that's one of the biggest things we want you to focus on because what we find most times is people are doing a better job of making sure they have enough nitrogen than looking at all the rest of the things. So we see just shortage after shortage on potassium. I'll bet you it's 80 or 90% of the soil tests we look at. When I look at them, I go, yeah, you don't have enough K. Well, I've been getting pretty good yields. You still don't have enough K. Your, your stock isn't good enough. That's why occasionally you're having lodging and green snap. That's also probably why your bean yields aren't as good as your corn yields, comparatively speaking, because beans need more nitrogen or more K at their peak than corn does. So anyway, I, I'm just trying to say here, yep, you want to focus on all those other nutrients. But when we have this conversation about nitrogen, we want you to be really careful with the use of it. Number one, and let's just think about your pocketbook. We don't want you to lose nitrogen because then it's a waste of money. But then also it can create environmental issues. So we'll talk today about when nitrogen stabilizers pay or when they're more likely to pay and get into a few more things with nitrogen stabilizers. If you want to call us, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. What's new from New Farm? Longbow EC Herbicide, the latest in our portfolio of versatile weed management tools, gives you another carfentrazone option, taking aim at more than 60 broadleaf weed species. And did we mention economical? Longbow EC's low use rate makes it a flexible tank mix partner with most burned down non-selective herbicides. Ask your dealer for Longbow EC, available for fall. 
During the Bronze Age, grain sorghum was a common crop in developing agriculture. Today's technology has changed virtually everything, but grain sorghum largely hasn't changed until now. Introducing Emiflex herbicide, paired with iGrowth non-GMO herbicide-resistant grain sorghum, this duo controls foxtail and other tough weeds pre- and post-emergence so you can grow like never before. Make history in your sorghum makers. Start today at sorghumpotential.com. Always read and follow label directions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. The first name and last word in weed control in heavier, higher organic soil types is Authority Edge Herbicide from FMC. This proprietary combination of actives outperforms the competition, delivering up to 14 more days of residual control. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Authority Edge Herbicide may not be registered for sale or use in all states. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We are broadcasting from the Morton studio, taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. We're talking nitrogen stabilizers, but it is St. Patrick's Day, so why not have somebody named Kelly Garrett on the show today? Don't you think that's good scheduling, Kelly? It's perfect. Happy... Happy St. Patrick's Day. That's awesome. Great job. (laughs) All right. Let's get to business here and talk about nitrogen stabilizers because if you're raising 390 bushel corn in Iowa in hilly ground, I know that a nitrogen stabilizer is something that's got to be considered on your farm. Yes, it is. And there's a particular one that we like. We've used it just a time or two. You know, it's a newer product for us. It's Enzone GL from Ag Explorer. You know, when we think about what we're doing with these nitrogen stabilizers, Brian was talking about this earlier. He said, there's a couple of strategies here. And for Brian, he said, if I'm using a stabilizer, I'm going to cut my rate of N to pay for that. And I I disagree. I think use the stabilizer and say, great, now I've got the N that I want out there. I'm not thinking about cutting. I'm thinking about getting a little better yield. Because, you know, last year, if we had 200 bushel corn, I want 205 this year, maybe even 210. Is that a reasonable assumption? Yes, we did not. We did not cut our nitrogen. You know, in in our down here, the preferred method of nitrogen is anhydrous. We put the Enzone GL in with the anhydrous, uh, and the reason that we chose to really go 100% with it this year is, you know, the commodity price of corn. Obviously, it's higher than what we're used to throughout our life, and then the price of the inputs. And you know. Anhydrous is going to potentially be twice as high in the spring as in the fall. We very much wanted every opportunity we could to get it all on in the fall, and we did. But we started just a little bit sooner than uh, than where a lot of people would start. Now Iowa State was saying that the ground temps were 55. Our soil, our 
our thermometer was saying 46, but we put the end zone in, Darren, and uh, we got after it right away and we got it all on. So I'm happy because of the lack of expense we're going to have to incur this spring. I, I love that you're talking about getting stuff on up front because uh, that's certainly one part of this and keeping that safe. The other part that I was talking to Brian about is what about nutrient availability later in the season as we're trying to fill those kernels out, get nice heavy test weight, fill the ears all the way to the end. Obviously, we need a bunch of different things, boron being one of them. How about nitrogen? Do you feel like nitrogen's super important to have available once you hit those reproductive stages? I yes, absolutely. You don't, you know, you want to have enough nitrogen in your tissue sample. Uh in my hills, I struggle to do that. We uh there, there's a product that we're going to try this year, and it's called Source, and the name of the company is Sound. It's kind of a mouthful when you say it all together, uh, you know, or, or Pivot Bio. You know, we put that in the furrow. Uh, sometimes we see a lot out of Pivot, and sometimes we don't. Source is a new product for us. You know, the, the worse soils that I have, the poorer soils that I have, we will see, uh, we'll see a more a bigger response from the pivot biotype product. Uh, the source product is a synthetic molecule that we're going to spray on with the fungicide. It's supposed to activate the ground and the nitrogen that's in the soil. Um, so I'm interested to see how that pays. Uh, that'll be a new product for us that we're trying. Let me switch gears here a little bit and talk soybeans. On soybeans, is nitrogen a big deal for you? Or are you shooting for high enough yields that you say, man, I got to apply some nitrogen because I'm just not going to get enough from my nodules and I'm not going to get enough from any carryover that I had from last year? Well, that's, you know, just coming back from the Commodity Classic and talking about this with Tommy Roach from Nature's, you know, that was one question on one of the panels we were on. And he's like, to get above 80 bushel soybeans, you're going to have to put some nitrogen out. And it's always in discussion about how to do this. And, you know, Tommy and I are, I very much want to raise 100 bushel beans. In 2017, I thought I was going to be well over 100. Uh, then we had a storm. This is before I was using the PGRs much, things like that. We had a storm. The beans laid down. Uh, there was 160, 170 pods on those beans. And when they stood back up, they had 90 pods and they made 90 bushel. Those beans, those beans, Darren, were my first beans ever on irrigation, and I put 100 pounds of anhydrous down on those beans to see what would happen. That'll really make your neighbors talk and your dad shake his head when you anhydrous the beans, but, you know, that's how we learn. That's how I learn. I guess I'm just going to have to go try it for myself. And I'll tell you, I've never anhydrous beans since, and I've never replicated it. So we've been talking about that, and I, I think to get these high, I think to get above 100, I'm going to have to put some nitrogen out somehow. Maybe it's anhydrous. I don't know. Yeah, I think you're going to need some N as well. And, and yeah, I know some other guys who have done some anhydrous on soybeans and had positive results as well. I am sure there's a point where you don't, but uh, just because someone says you can't do it, if they haven't tried it, you're right. There's definitely a curiosity there that, huh, maybe we should try that because... They might not know what they're talking about. And it happens all the time that somebody has a field that they've already put fertilizer on and they thought, well, it was going to be a corn field. And then they end up putting soybeans in there. And oftentimes they do have just tremendous yield. So I think the fertility piece is one of those things that's certainly missing on soybeans. So how close to, to planting season are you down there, Kelly? Are you guys ready to roll or do you wait till a certain day in April or are you looking for soil conditions? What What's most important for you? We are ready to roll. With corn, I will wait till the soil warms up. Uh, typically, you're talking April 20th, April 25th. This year, you know, the way the forecast is, maybe it'll be a little sooner. Uh, 
on Monday, March 21st, I plan on putting some beans in the ground. We are ready to go. The beans are going to get treated here tomorrow at, at, in Harlan, Iowa at my seed dealer, uh, Cyclone Seed and Chemical, Chad Manns. And I'm going to go plant 100 or 150 acres of beans, provided everything works right on the planter. You know how that goes. I'm going to plant 100, 150 acres of beans on Monday, March 21st, which is obviously very early. The earliest I've ever been able to go is April 5th. But we identified some stress mitigation products this last year in trials, Darren. And uh, instead of just trying to get lucky like normal, this year I have a plan and I'm optimistic and I'm excited to see. It might be a failure but I'm optimistic it's going to work. Accomplish Max for Magerson, Octane for Mag Explore, and then we're going to come back with, a, the well, Weather King, the salicylic acid product that you have, is our plan, you know, working with Lee Lubers. Uh, if the beans come up and we think a frost is coming, we will we'll spray ahead of time with Weather King to, to protect against the frost. There's a lot of things that you can do to try to improve your odds. I, I like that. Rather than just take a chance, we're going to do everything we can to, to stack the deck in our favor. And we're talking to our friend Kelly Garrett, believe it or not, on St. Patrick's Day. Now, I think this is going to become an annual event, Kelly, that on St. Patty's Day, we're, we're going to have to get together and do some radio. <laughs> It is a very Irish name. I appreciate that. It's a good idea. All right. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks, Darren. Happy St. Patrick's Day. You bet. You as well. All right, Brian, we're talking nitrogen stabilizers today, but uh, one thing about it, you need less nitrogen if you can control all the weeds that are going to rob some of the fertility. And True. Uh, James sent us a, a comment here about a weed, and he said, you guys were talking about common cocklebur the other day. I remember chopping this weed with sugarcane knives for $5 an hour back in the 70s. Uh, we also Darren and I wish we got five dollars an hour when <laughs> yeah. we were doing that back in the seventies and eighties. We, we also pulled it because it was too easy to break a handle on a hoe on some of those stalks. You know, that's yep. one thing about it. Cockleburr did kind of bush out, and man, it could have a pretty tough got stalk. A, got on a it too. thick stalk. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's always something out there. And, you know, I think about this too, Brian, in, in the age of weed control, we, we talk about all the things that we're doing on fertility. We've got to do a great job controlling weeds. And this year, there's been um, so many people joking about this. Hey, I bought Enlist Beans, but my dealer can't get me any of the chemicals that I could use on it. Now, there's plenty of chemicals. And when you think about the pre's that we're using and so forth, man, we get we get our three pre's down. We come back in with an early post-emerge residual, a Warrant Ultra or an Anthem Max. Uh, we just don't have big weed issues anymore if we stay ahead of it like that. And this is certainly going to be one of those years that you're going to have to be catching those weeds when they're small, especially if you're using choice uh, B or C and your product of choice A is not available. So as we talk about fertility today, just keep that in mind that, you know what, fertilizer is great for a lot of things. we got to feed the crop. We just can't afford to lose any, like we're talking about nitrogen stabilizers. We don't want any of those nitrogen loss factors happening out there. Uh, but one of them I just wanted to make sure that we mentioned is controlling all the weeds so the weeds don't steal your fertilizer. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, you can call and ask a question as well at 844-44-AG-PHD. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. 
To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Boost your productivity and profitability with Soil Warrior from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and your yield potential in just one strip-till pass. Now that's ROI. Contact us today at SoilWarrior.com. Improve germination in your fields with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our unique spike design seals your seed within a firm vein of soil, providing maximum seed-to-soil contact and maximum germination. Order a set for your planter at farmshopmfg.com. Ag PhD has one mission, to give you the knowledge you need to make your farm more successful. That's why every issue of the Ag PhD Insider Magazine features crop fertility and pest management tips, insights into the world's highest-yielding farmers, updates and results from our infield research trials, as well as the latest agronomy information from Brian and Darren Hefty. We put it all in one place so you can make your farm more productive and profitable. Subscribe to the Ag PhD Insider at agphdinsider.com. Soybean growers are dealing a swift blow to tough broad leaves and grasses with the two-in-one power of Moccasin MTZ. Moccasin MTZ combines the power of s metolachlor and a higher load of Metribuzin for outstanding weed control right from the outset with extended residual control to keep tough weeds down, including pigweed, water hemp, ragweed, and mare's tail. In addition to annual grasses like foxtail and barnyard grass, ask your retailer about Moccasin MTZ and always read and follow label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Today we are talking about nitrogen stabilizers. And, you know, there's so many things going on around that nitrogen space right now when it comes to different nitrogen products, a lot of naturals and biological type products as well. Uh, I, I got a, a, another guest coming on here right now, Ron Geis with Corteva, who could talk both angles there on nitrogen. Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate having you on. You bet. Nice to talk to you, Darren. Hey, before I forget, so we're talking nitrogen stabilizers. I want to talk just a little bit about some of the other products that are out there. I know you've got one called Utricia that, that we've actually done some research on the last few years and, and had nice results on as well. What what are you seeing with that one, and what, what kind of help could that give the growers this year with a dollar per unit or more nitrogen? Um, the Utricia, we, we got our hands on it here just last year or so uh, and looked at it. But what's what's interesting about this, okay, I'm going to run the clock back 40 years when I was in college, and they were talking about the Holy Grail being, boy, wouldn't it be great if corn could fix nitrogen from the atmosphere 
like soybean plants do. And that is something that Utricia N does. It's, it's a bacteria. You spray it onto the leaves of crops, whether it's corn or soybeans or milo or wheat. Uh, we've even tried it in pastures. And it pulls, it, it takes the, um, the ammonia as a, uh, or it, it, it works inside the plant and it leaves ammonia as a byproduct of its growing process inside these plants. So it literally fixes that nitrogen that the plants take in as they take in air, which is mostly nitrogen around them. It's real exciting. We're, we're thinking this is going to um, be, be the next new wave of uh, taking care of crops. Well, anything we can do to cut down on how much nitrogen we have to apply out there to accomplish our purpose is a big deal. We were talking just about the environmental aspects that uh, farmers are being watched pretty closely, and we want to make sure we're doing the right thing with the fertilizer that we're using. And that kind of led us into this nitrogen stabilizer discussion. I know you've got uh, some pretty nice products there as well to talk about. Well, we sure do. We've, we've uh, 45 or so years ago, we introduced NSERV which was specifically formulated to stabilize nitrogen uh, and hydrous ammonia. Uh, more recently, we brought out the Instinct line, exact same active ingredient, just formulated to use with liquid fertilizer or urea or uh, those liquid manure products. Well, there's certainly a lot of different ways nitrogen gets applied. And when you think about that, when you look at the manure products and so forth, I know Brandon and I always kind of, joke about how our dad used to say, ah, oh, it's the smell of money, boys. And and we say, no, that's the smell of lost money. We're smelling all that nitrogen exactly. we're losing. So there's certainly a yeah. need there. And it's so easy. I, I think personally, that's the easiest way other than if you see a water test and you see high levels of nitrate, like leaching out or something like that, which is, I, I don't know, for us, we haven't seen that, but I know that certainly happens out there. But the smell of the manure and the smell of that ammonia is something that just tells me I'm losing money. I need to put something on to try to help with that. How easy is it to use instinct with manure? What are the application methods that you would use? A few years ago, we were able to get a label to put the instinct directly into the manure pits. And a couple of things. One is it's not corrosive to concrete, so that's a very safe application to do. We just want to make sure you get it spread evenly throughout. You know, if you have six ports, put it in, take your total pit, divide by six, put that much in, one-sixth into each. And then give it the, the regular stirring that you would normally do uh, to agitate so that your manure is fairly consistent. Then we have gone out and tested different levels of water and looked for instinct in, in that, after 20 or 30 minutes of mixing, and we're finding almost the exact same amount of instinct in the sides, in the middle, in the top, in the bottom. Uh, so long as you get that slurry used up within seven days, uh, a re-agitation is not necessary. But as you approach that seven-day uh, limit, then, then give it another 20 or 30 minutes of re-agitation so it's stirred around within the, with that type of an application. Yeah, I think there's a lot of ways we can try to improve our footprint as farmers and also make some more money by doing so. Brian says if he's putting on a nitrogen stabilizer, he's going to cut nitrogen because he may have had to overapply slightly before, and now he's spending some money on a stabilizer, and he figures, well, it's probably going to cover me for at least as much as what I'm spending on that stabilizer. What do you think about that? Are you saying, well, you put a stabilizer on, you cut your rate, or are you, are you more like my kind of thinking, Ron, not to sway you at all, but I look at it as if I keep my nitrogen rate up, maybe I can shoot for some higher yields here. Darren, I've known you long enough, 
you know, you know the story of Cain and Abel. I am not going to jump into the middle of that argument. <laughs> but on the other hand, I think you're both right, depending on how much nitrogen you're actually using. If you're right down there and, and you know, nitrogen's not your limiting factor, um, or, or, or nitrogen's, you know, right at the point where you're almost limiting, then don't cut it. Just make sure with using a stabilizer that you're going to keep all that you put on. If you've got excess nitrogen, um, then cutting would, would be fine. But let's keep another thing in mind, Darren. You know, we're not raising 180 bushels of corn anymore. We're raising, you know, 250, shooting for 300. And how much can your soil actually hold? Uh, you may not be cutting, but, you know, there may not be room to add any more. But keeping what you have by using a good stabilizer is going to uh, get you to a better end with a better yield. Yeah, I agree with you. We, and, and I think that's a great point when we talk about, well, what is your cation exchange capacity in your soil? How much organic matter do you have in your soil? How much nitrogen can you really hold? And there's a lot of growers out there that say, man, I'm, I'm getting big yields. I've got lighter soils. I can't, I can't hold it all. And Brian kind of hit on this earlier. He said we may have to split apply and, and so forth. Yep, there's a lot of guys that have to split apply, sometimes even several times during the growing season or more, depending on your situation. So when you're doing this, do you, when do you need to put a product like Instinct in if a grower says, well, I'm going to be split applying. Can I just do it once? Do I need to put it on every time I'm putting nitrogen out there? We would like to see the... Uh the instinct go on when your large application of nitrogen takes place. So let's take a guy that splits applies. Well, are you putting on, you know, 180 pounds and then following with another 40 or 50? Put it all in with that 180. But if I'm going to go 100 followed by 100, then I'd probably use a half of the recommended dose twice and put some in with each. Wouldn't cost you any more, but you're protecting. What you're, what you're trying to also do is to hold it into that form that's, that's a positive charge so that it binds with the negative soil as, as much as you possibly can. And especially when you look at the rainfall patterns, a lot of times April and May are the rainy months. If we can get through April and May uh, with it stabilized, then if it, you know, it runs out of gas after six or eight weeks of you know, longer stabilization than without it, uh, if that gets you past that critical period, then it's not necessarily as important to have it stabilized as a later. But I would point out one thing on those later applications. If you're applying a late application on top of the surface, you know, let's say we're surface applying UAN with a, you know, Y-drops or something, you might be wanting to look at a different kind of a stabilizer, an above-ground stabilizer, to keep that from volatilizing away. And we're just introducing our new Pennant Max TG into that market, we're hoping to get all the, the registrations uh, in time for the use season this year. It's looking promising for that. Yeah, there's a lot of development going on in agriculture right now. And, you know, it's good when the ag economy is going well and there's a lot of a lot of demand. There's a lot of great science that's happening. So it's good to catch up. Uh, we're talking with Ron Geis here with Corteva. Ron, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Yeah, nice talking to you again, Darren. All right, Brian, with nitrogen stabilizers, I like Ron's thinking when the big dose is going out there, that's the time to do it because a lot of times that side dress app, you want that all to be available right now. You don't want anything to slow that, that process down whatsoever. Well, yes, but you might be putting a big dose on at side dress time if you don't have heavy soil. So 
I mean, it's still possible it could pay later on. But yeah, the bigger the dose, then the more likely it is that a stabilizer is going to pay. Also, when nitrogen prices are high, it's more likely that stabilizers are going to pay. There are a lot of factors here that you could look at on your farm to say, all right, am I more likely this stuff could pay or not? So if it's going to be far in front of your use... So to your point, I mean, if it's not far in front of your ears, it's right in the middle of the season, a stabilizer is a little less likely to pay. But again, the dose really will make a difference there. Talking about nitrogen stabilizers on our show today, but also taking any agronomic question you may have, you can either send it to us by email radio at agphd.com or just give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. The next generation of weed control in wheat, Wide AR Match Herbicide. Uh, I'm sorry, is this a typo? I mean, there's an AR in the middle of Wide Match. Mm-hmm, that's the name. It's called Wide R Match Herbicide. Oh, my bad. From the top. <clears throat> Wide R Match from Corteva AgriScience. It's not a typo. It's an upgrade. The AR stands for RLX Active for improved control of the toughest broadleaf weeds in wheat. Talk with your retailer to learn more.
You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. Our phone lines are open, and we are taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the rest of the show at 844-44-AG-PHD. All right, Brian, you're going to like this question. Uh, are you ready for a question? another question, or you want to say anything else on the nitrogen piece? Uh, no, go ahead. All right, so this one's about P and K. We're going to switch it up a little bit. So this one comes in from Brian up in Ontario, Canada. He said, all right, guys, we live in a region with 2,900 heat units. We've got a clay loam soil with a CEC around 12. We're tiled at 25-foot spacings, and our base saturation in our soils are ideal. Our corn is planted conventionally with fertilizer incorporated with vertical tillage, and the soybean crop is no-tilled the following year. That's, this is the key. Now, with the invasion currently happening in Ukraine and fertilizer prices rising, I want to throw up a potential scenario at you. This spring, when I apply my corn fertilizer, I'm thinking about including enough P and K for next year's soybean crop. My question is, would this fertilizer be available to the soybean crop yep. or would it get tied up? Nope, and would fine. you recommend doing something like this if you think fertilizer prices are only going to get worse? <laughs> well, here's the thing. We don't know if fertilizer prices are going to get worse. They're already at an all-time high. So back when our dad was around, he and I used to talk some about when you want to take risk and when you don't. For example, a couple of years ago, we made many statements here on the radio telling you, hey, you know what? You do whatever you want, but you might want to buy five years worth of Roundup because it's at an all-time low. Product's been out for 50 years. It's at an all-time low. How much lower can it possibly go? Um it's you might lose a few cents, but you could gain many, 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 many dollars on the upside. Okay, same thing with fertilizer. A year and a half ago, fertilizer hit a 15-year low. We bought up enough in effect for two or three years on our farm. When fertilizer's at an all-time high price, I look at it as this thing could go either way. Sure, we can talk about Ukraine and Russia and what's happening. But we don't know what's going to happen there. It might be all over in a month. It might be three years. So it's really hard to predict. So that's the first thing that I would say. On to whether the P&K will be fine in the future. Oh, yeah, it's going to be pretty good. I'm not going to say there isn't going to be some tie-up, especially with the phosphorus. There probably will be. But it's going to be there. If you own the ground, eventually it's going to come available, whether it's next year, two years from now, or eight years from now, it's going to come available sooner or later. It'll be more available if you have good life in your soil, and I'm I, I'm encouraged because, number one, you have tile. One of the biggest things that hurts fertility availability is not having good soil microbial life. Well, if you don't have good drainage in your soil, that means you don't have good oxygen levels in your soil, and then a lot of your beneficial microbes die. So, the only other thing that I would look at is what's your soil pH, but I'm not super worried about that. I'm guessing your pH is probably okay because you have tile and you have medium textured soil. Where we have problems sometimes with tie up and soil pH is when soil pH gets really high or really low. But anyway, I, I, Think about the super heavy soils, and that's a lot of times where salts get hung up, and we have high magnesium, and then the pH starts rising, then we have sodium problems, and we get more tie-up of the phosphorus. So for you, I don't think I'd be super worried about it. Oh, here's one other thing. I'm just going to throw this out. For anybody that is listening and you go, man, 
I, I, I just can't afford fertilizer right now. But they're in the situation that we had right here where what was the comment? It was corn. I'm only using vertical tillage. So that's virtually nothing. So the, the fertilizer is getting in the ground two inches. And in soybeans, no till. So the fertilizer is getting in the ground, not at all. And my point here is if you start looking at P and K and also organic matter mineralization, if you wanted to, and I'm not saying you have to do this or even it would be my recommendation, but I'm simply saying if you pulled out the moorboard plow for one year and you cut your fertilizer back, you would burn up some of your soil's organic matter and you would mix that fertility that's probably stratified in your top two inches. You'd mix that down into the ground and you'd be able to get by on less fertilizer for one year. Now, granted, long term, you'll have less organic matter and you won't have the soil structure that you may like with doing some of your no-till and vertical till. But I'm just simply saying that's an option. And there are people that are looking at that. And it's up to you how you want to farm your ground. All right, Brian, get a few different soil tests sent in here from Nathan and uh, he's down in Iowa. He said, I'll, I'll give you the first one here, Brian. The first one, uh, he said, this particular field, the poor areas, the soybeans died off in August. It was just a small portion of the field. Now, a couple years before, we didn't notice this in our soybean rotation then, and we didn't do any fertility there in the last two years. Just wondering if you see something that would stand out that would say, yeah, I see why the poor area did bad. Well, the first thing that I see is we don't have sodium on this test, and I want to know what your sodium levels are. Here's why I am concerned about it, because you've got cation exchange capacity in the mid-20s, so it's heavy. You've got potassium in the one spot at 10%. That's too high. So occasionally we'll have Neil Kinsey on the show, and he'll talk about hey, you know what, if potassium and sodium get over 10%, um, that's a real bad thing. So that could be a problem, but it looks like stuff's getting hung up there. And so I don't know for sure that that's it, because it could be something that has nothing to do with soil fertility at all. It could be a herbicide carryover issue or, you know, something else. I don't know. I also start immediately when I see, hey, you got really high phosphorus levels and really high potassium levels, I start thinking about what? Salt. And you don't have soluble salts even on this test. So next time when you run a soil test, you got almost everything that I would be looking for. You're only missing the sodium and the soluble salts. So, and I, I, I don't even know what test you selected from Midwest Labs, but usually when we're picking a test, it's the S3C. And so then we get the sodium, we get soluble salts, and we get nitrate. You don't have any of those things. And so I'm questioning, do we have a sodium problem there? Do we have a soluble salt problem there? Or is there something else going on? But yeah, when I see 10% potassium, please don't put any potassium out there for a few years. You got to get that down a little bit. That's just too high. All right, next one here. Uh, this particular field, he said, irrigated, and the poor beans looked short all season. They didn't canopy well, yielded 10 to 15 bushel less than the good beans. Hey, I love that you're on the track of let's take a look and see if there's some fertility things here because uh, obviously yeah, we identified some of the first one. We also don't see, like Brand said, the salt levels, the 
the compaction, if there's any of that, and, and the manure program, which right. is an obvious question we'd have. And, right. and even, you know, sometimes it could be like a previous chem program where there was some carryover or something like that that happened out there. So there may be some more details we need to get a great idea, but uh, what do you think on these soil tests, Brent? Well, the first thing where he's got it marked poor versus good, in the poor areas you got half the amount of phosphorus and about two-thirds the amount of potassium. So is it potentially that? Because now we're down to 2% 2 base saturation K in the poor areas, and that's way too low. So that's a big problem for us. Oh, by the way, this one does actually have sodium on there and soluble salts, and, and none of that's a problem in this particular field. So I, I just think it's a little bit low fertility. I'd also be interested, if you ran a Malik 3 in the future, and you can also do that with Midwest Labs, it's cheaper. I'd like to see what you actually have well, just, for manganese and iron and stuff. Just anyway, wait. It'll be fun to see. On the, he's got one more field that we're going to have to get to after the break, but he's got plant tissue analysis to go with the soil test. Uh, do you have more comments on that one, or do you want to look at the last ones well, here? Uh, well, no, I would look at the last ones, but anyway, what's the question on the okay. last one? So the last one, there's going to be a little bit more of a story that I'll set up for you. And then you have a chance to look oh, at these over okay. the break. Uh, there's a soil and plant tissue test for a couple different fields here. Uh, the Mao field had five to six tons of 1200 ECCE lime applied to correct that pH of 5.5. That's a field they just bought. Wait, wait, wait. There's no pH that says 5.5. They they put it on before that test, I'm assuming, because I'd noticed that too. Uh, <laughs> okay, anyway. And, anyways, they put a bunch of lime on. And they over and, and then they grew a crop of beans that were slow to grow, <laughs> fell to the side quickly, and so forth. So yep. I just wanted to see if we could figure something else out on that particular soil sample. Sure. We'll get back into that and tackle your calls and agronomic questions coming up right after this. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. When you're up in your sprayer, remember to look ahead into the future. Because if you've made the smart decision to plant Enlist E3 soybeans, now's the time to protect them with Enlist herbicides. The superior tank mix flexibility easily allows multiple sites of action and keeps your weed control programs effective beyond just this season. Visit Enlist.com to see how a better weed control system can help fight resistance on your fields today and tomorrow. Beat resistant weeds with Tough IVC on your team. Add Tough IVC into your post-emergent tank mix and even in the playing field. Tough IVC, a selective contact herbicide, synergizes HPBD inhibitors and enhances the effect of PS2 herbicides. Tough IVC increases control of some of the toughest to kill herbicide resistant weeds, such as Palmer Amaranth and Waterhem. Ask your local retailer about Tough IVC or visit BelchamUSA.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, you can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and the latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. 
While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming Ag PhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, it means getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting experts who will work with you to create a program unique to your operation, all while accounting for the quality of your soil and the products you're already using. It's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, Fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get incentives from Bayer Plus Rewards when you choose the power of Fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put Fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. Listening to Ag PhD Radio, and we're taking your calls and agronomic questions here in the Morton studio at 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, just before the break here, we're talking about some soil samples that Nathan had sent in, and Brian, Brian went through the first couple of them, but there were a couple of more tests that came that also had plant tissue analysis from those same fields. Now, I don't know, again, Nathan, if these were the exact same time that the soil samples and tissue tests were taken or if the soil tests were before the season, the tissue test during. Okay. I said the tissue tests were about 8 to 15-inch tall corn, uh, but had a couple of stories. So the one field Wait, had whoa, a bunch whoa, of lime. Let's stop right there. The this... one field had a bunch of lime, and the other field had yeah. irrigation water from a local okay, pork processor. You... Okay, yeah, but just stop right there. We got we to step back. And talk about 8 to 15 inch tall corn. That's not what this says here. This on the tissue test says V4. V4 is about 4 to 6 inch tall corn. And it, and this says stage of growth, V4, two week, four leaves. Well, keep in so, mind, last year was 100 degrees through most of June. So it could have been really hot and we could have had a lot of extreme growth there. So it, it could be no that big. possible chance that it's, what, what was your second number? 16 inches tall? V4. Yeah, no possible 15 chance. 15-inch tall, V4, I doubt We've it. never had that in our lab where we have the temperature hot all the time. Anyway, my, my point here is this. When you're testing at V4, and it says on his soybeans he tested at V3, you're not going to learn a lot many times. Yes, I like to know it, and I'm not saying stop tissue testing then. But quite often, we'll find a lot of nutrients look pretty good. And um, what... I, I just say where the good is going to separate from the great is in the rapid growth stage. So about the time the corn is waist high all the way to sh- shoulder high or uh, over your head, right in that range, that corn is growing sometimes four inches a day. I mean, it's crazy. You wake up in the morning and you look at him and you're like, that isn't the same crop I, I saw last night before I went to bed even, it seems like. So that's when very often we see some big drawdowns on certain nutrients. But anyway, I'll just I'll give you the answer on, on both of these. So there was this rosebloom field that um, you said was, what was it, manure from a plant or something you were getting, right? 
Yes, uh, irrigation water from a local pork processor. Okay, here's here's the problem there. You got sodium. You got excess sodium. We are all the way up to 4% sodium now. It's not all the way to a sodic soil yet, so please get it addressed before it becomes a sodic soil. But that's a real problem. And I, I would say where we've got the poor ground, you had really low phosphorus, and your potassium was at least lower than the good ground, plus the poor ground had more sodium. So that's the big issue there. And on your tissue test already, you're showing low on boron. It's no wonder we're at a half a part per million on boron. So I'd be, you know, working on the boron. I would continue working on sulfur because that's also single digits. And you're going to have to do something to address that sodium thing. So in other words, I'd probably avoid taking that manure for a little bit and let that sodium thing calm down. I'd also consider improving your drainage in the soil Cation exchange capacity is over 20, so we've got heavy soil here, and I'd take a look at, do I need some tile there? And if so, I'd get that in. Okay, and this other field, this mow field, there was lime put out, and I and Darren said something about 5.3 on pH, and I go, wait a second, the tests are showing 6.8 and 7.4 on pH. So two things that tells me. Number one is there's probably a lot of lime put out there. Now, Darren said five or six tons. That doesn't tell us the whole story. What we're really after is how much actual calcium got applied. Our, our common rule here on the show is we'll say over 2,400 pounds of calcium, and you're taking tremendous risk at tie-up on certain nutrients. Okay, so when you've got an area that's already a little low on nutrients like phosphorus, and I don't know about iron and some of your other nutrients because you don't have any micros on the test there, the odds are you had tie-up in both areas. But since you were starting with higher nutrients like in the good area, well, it has twice as much phosphorus. Well, you were tying up phosphorus in both areas, but you had more to go on in the good area. So anyway, there was an over-application of lime on that field. And anyway, again, on the other field, sodium's your number one culprit there for poor yield. All right, Brian, got a question in. This is from Ren. He said, guys, got a question. I've got a sand product that we're using for bedding in our freestall dairy barn. I'm wondering, do you think it would be beneficial to have it tested for what the bedding yep. has in it for nutrients? Yep. Now, I was thinking that it might be beneficial, uh, so we were going to use it uh, out in our fields. Yep. Uh, I've worked with Midwest Labs in the past for soil tests, and I thought I could just run a normal soil test on it since it's sand. But they're saying hmm. no. They're saying it wouldn't be accurate. They'd like to hmm. run it as a compost or a fertilizer test. And I got thinking, hmm. when you did the water treatment plant lime, what test did you run? Would it be a similar a test, test to that? Yeah, we ran a lime test. And then they'll, they, they can extract all the nutrients knowing that it's a lime test. So... Yeah, I, I I don't know. I've never done anything with with a sand comp uh, with a sand product, so I'm not sure. I would just trust whatever they're telling me. And if you want, you could is, say, it's way more "Hey, run expensive. the other one." It's eighty or a hundred bucks a sample to do okay. it that way. All right, but it's but just to, like when Darren and I have disagreements on the farm. How do we prove it? who's right, we settle it in the field. And we say, all right, let's do both, and we'll see which one works. So I just tell the Midwest Labs people, all right, split the sample in half, run one your way, and run one my way doing soil analysis, and let's see what we find out. And if they're both the same, well, then in the future, spend $10 instead of spending 80 
All right. Interesting question there. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate that. This one comes from John, and he said, I've got a question for you about your three pre-program for soybeans. I'm wondering, could uh, you often talk about name brand products. However, with the supply chain issues this year, we're looking for just what the active ingredients are because we're going to have to seek out some generics in some cases when our dealers can't come up with what we'd like. Uh, we're over in Michigan. Just curious, could you give us active ingredients that we should consider for our three pre-soybean strategy? Okay, so first of all, there are more, way more name brand products available this year than generics. So more people are going to the name brand. But here's the thing. With the three pre's we talk about, Metribuzin, um, the name brand is Sencor and Lexone, and we haven't had name brand for years and years. Uh, with Trifluralin, the name brand is Treflan. And Dow, quit, Dow doesn't even exist anymore. They quit making Treflan probably 20 years ago. So that's also only generic. With Prowl, that's Pendimethylin. And then you've got Valor and you've uh, Flumioxazin and authority or spartan and that would be sulfentrazone yeah there's a lot of different actives and then some people talk about using group 15s in there as well we we like saving those for post yes we like using those other products pre the other ones are a little bit better to be honest with you but it seems like in no-till we get this question a lot because guys say ah pendimethylin is really expensive brian what do you think about if you put a a product like a metallochlor or a, a zidua or that type of thing out there instead of the the prowl version. What are you giving up? Well, I, I you're not giving up a lot. It's just I like prowl a little better than the group 15s in terms of small seed broadleaf control and especially grass control. But the big thing is we're trying to use a different mode of action so we don't kill the group 15s. Because let's face it, chances are you're using a group 15 once or twice in your corn already. And you're probably going to use it once post-emerging your soybeans. So you're already using it three times in, in two years. I really don't want to have to use it a fourth time. Now, do I have any problem with Fierce? No, it works fine. So it's up to you what you want to do. I just like using that other mode of action. So we hopefully don't have lots of resistance issues moving forward. All right, one other question had come in. Uh, Kelly Garrett was on and spoke about using anhydrous on corn and even tried it once on beans. Just curious if you guys have a form of nitrogen that's your favorite or any that you try to avoid. Over the years, we've always said, whatever's cheapest, just run with that. Now, you have to look at the safety factor, too, with anhydrous. That's a really big thing. So I, I'd I just say... Um, if you want to use anhydrous, it's fine, but just be really careful with it, please. Otherwise, yeah, I don't really care what you want to use. But our, our our dad, when he first came from Iowa to South Dakota, he found that putting 100 units of anhydrous on in front of soybeans was very beneficial because we just flat out had no rhizobia out there. Even double inoculating was not enough to deliver all the nitrogen the plant needed. Now that we've been in corn-soybean rotation for a long time, not a big deal. Well, thanks for all the questions today. Really appreciate that as we were talking about nitrogen stabilizers and other fertility topics. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.